in the way of announcements this morning, uh, just a reminder again from the uh, First Baptist Church of Fortuna up on Scenic Drive that they'll be having a, on April 29th and 30th uh, a free uh, conference for the, all the churches in the area to attend. Uh, it's called the Sound Doctrine Conference, and the subject matter of this, for this uh, particular uh, conference will be the church, the pillar, and the buttress of the truth. So just a reminder that that's coming up. And there's these, the flyers with all the other information you need are out on the table in the foyer. And also, um, we are having a multi-church uh, Good Friday service, uh, April 15th. Uh, and it's at 6.30 p.m. And it's going to be at the Fortuna River Lodge. Uh, we found it seems to be the best place to do this. And uh, so that will be uh, on April 15th at 6.30, Good Friday service. Uh, the context of it is one city, one church, one God. And so uh, looking forward to that. Uh, so in prayer needs this morning, I just wanted to give you an update and share with you that uh, Kay uh, Morris had her first eye surgery this last week. And it was very successful. Uh, it went really well. Uh, she, she's amazed at what she is able to see right now that she wasn't able to see before. Difficulty is her glasses don't work. They're too strong. <laughs> how do you like that? How, you know, she puts her glasses on and everything gets blurry now. So uh, she has a, another surgery, the second surgery, the, uh, on April 22nd. And so we want to, uh, that's a Friday, and so we want to keep that in prayer. And uh, is there any other prayer needs that anybody has this morning that we need to share? Travelers, many on this week, yes. Anybody else? Okay. Any others? Phil passed away. Yeah. Uh, uh, it, uh, he passed away about, what, about 10 days ago? Yeah. And so uh, be, be praying for the, the family. And uh, just uh, Walter and, and uh, especially because all of the executor things have landed in his lap. And so uh, just keep him in prayer. Anything else? Let's pray together. Father, we come to You to say thank You for Your mercy and Your grace. We thank You for the good news in reference to Kay. She's been looking forward to this for so long. We're so excited that she's finally got in to have this surgery and that it's been successful we look at surgery number two on Friday the 22nd and, and ask, Lord, that it will be equally successful and that she'll be back to, to being able to drive and do all the things that she's been missing. And we just uh, ask that you would cause her to rest in you as she waits and, and just, again, having the confidence that the God of all creation is covering her. And, Lord, for uh, the, the Scriber family, just to continue to be with them, and, and uh, minister to them, and I'm thinking especially of Walter, that you just uh, and and Dan as they uh, 
clear up things with the estate and, and, and uh, get those things settled. We just ask that you would be with them. Give them wisdom and, and, and comfort, Lord, as only you can. Lord, uh, uh, for the uh, travelers that are out this weekend, there's many, many travelers uh, missing from our congregation today. And we just ask, Lord, that you would be with them, keep them safe, and Lord, uh, bring them home safe. And uh, we thank you that we can come to you with our needs, ask for your mercy and your grace, and with confidence know that you extend the mercy and grace as we pray. And now, Lord, as, uh, as we also pray for uh, just Annie, uh, we ask, Lord, that you would bring strength in, uh, for her as she goes through this rehab and uh, just uh, comfort her too. And be with those that are ministering to her. Give them wisdom as to exactly what she needs in the way of therapy to get, us, to get whole again. And again, we're, with confidence, we leave these things in your hands, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning we'll be sharing our last message from 1 Peter. And uh, we'll be looking at uh, chapter 5. And I'll share the, let's uh, read the scriptures. Uh, uh, Chapter 5, starting with uh, actually in the middle of verse 5. It seems to be the natural spot that there might have been an originally an idea of a division. Uh, and uh, we'll be going through verse 11. And as we do that, though, again, reminding you that you know we're talking about uh, today as, as Palm Sunday and Jesus in the triumphal entry as he came into uh, Jerusalem on a donkey. He rode in, it says through Zechariah that prophesied that he was coming in as a humble man. And think again as what Peter described, or Paul described Jesus as he emptied himself and, and, and humbled himself and became a man. All of the things that Jesus did in the sense of, of humility, we don't, we don't normally think of humility as the thing that we want to reach for as a, as a character trait. Uh, a lot of times uh, people think of humility as something that is, uh, you know, kind of like a humble pie or something like that, where it's, it's, it's not something that you, you want to be known as. And yet here we see it over and over and over again in our Lord as something that we should strive for. And in Peter's, we're going to look today, he's telling us the same thing, something we as Christians should strive for. And so uh, I was looking at this and I was thinking, you know, Jesus uh, also in his in his desire to minister to the to the to the people and to save them. Think of Jesus as he was riding in on that donkey as he got over the hill as he's overlooking the city of Jerusalem. Do you recall what he did? Most people think he wept. Most people get this, the, 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 the idea Jesus wept and, and that's a scripture out of John over Lazarus. And that they think that, but here's another scripture where Jesus wept. And why he wept was that he was looking at all of these people so, and I'm going to say, full of custom, full of tradition, uh, full of legalism, if you will. Uh, and he realized that, that, that their rejection was going to bring a judgment on them. And he wept for them. 
And uh, again, we see this humility of Jesus, his concern for the people. And what I want to drive at is that the, there, there's a, a statement that I'll get back to in a minute, but it was the people were so full of themselves that they couldn't reach out and see what God was doing. They couldn't open their eyes. They were, their eyes were, were closed, if you will, because they were open to all of their traditions and their customs and things like this. And, and couldn't see through that to what Jesus was doing. So let's look at uh, Peter chapter 5, uh, about halfway through the fifth verse. It says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties or your cares on Him, because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Like I said, humility is not the the first trait that as Christians we seem to grasp after. and, and yet here, uh, he's, we're being told that we are to clothe ourselves in that. And I'll get to that in a minute. But I started thinking of some of the songs, especially the, the, the Scripture songs. And uh, maybe you're familiar with some of them, that you'll recall them coming out of the, especially the Maranatha time where Maranatha music was really, really popular. And one of them was, Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord, and he will do what? Lift you up, okay? That's right out of of James chapter 4. That's a Scripture song. Another song that we used to sing a lot was, He has told you, O man, what is good, what uh, what, uh, the Lord requires of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. And that's Micah 6.8. Okay, so we... Here's two songs that we used to sing a lot, talked about us being humble. Okay, and then here Peter says we need to be humble. Clothers, in fact, the, the phrase is, is really an interesting thing. It says, clothe yourselves with, with all humility, with, uh, humility. And this idea to clothe is to literally put on a servant apron and take the position of the servant. And this should draw us right back to John chapter 13 where Jesus says, it says He took the towel and wrapped it around. It's the same word. It's the same apron. He put it around Him, the servant's apron, to wash the feet of the disciples. And, uh, you know, Peter really understood this. What did Peter do when Jesus came to wash his feet? He said, oh, not me. 
You know? And Jesus told him, He says, if I don't wash you, you have no part in me. Well, then He said, wash all of me. You know, Peter understood this principle of the servant's cloth. He'd gotten the picture from Jesus Himself. And so here He is writing to us, uh, the Lord making sure that we grasp this truth, that we are to clothe ourselves in, with a servant's apron. It says here in chapter uh, verse 5 again too, that God opposes the proud. These are the people that Jesus was weeping over when He rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Self-satisfied, some might say self-made man. Have you ever heard that person, I did this on my own, I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps, this type of thing. And uh, self-reliant, I brought the offering, I did this, I did that, I did that. The Jewish people saying, I have done all of this, therefore I deserve. Other people kind of had an attitude. I know all I need to know. I don't need anybody coming in here and disrupting the way I see things. <laughs> you know? And, and so, uh, I've, I've met uh, people over the years that have been going to church for years and years and years and rarely read their Bible outside of Sunday morning. You know, it's kind of like I know all I need to know. Yes, Scripture says we need to humble ourselves, to approach God, to come to Him and realize who He is. And so self-reliant isn't something that works. Self-satisfied isn't, isn't to be the way we are. Uh, the real bottom line is, is that I want to be driving. I want to be in control. And yet, God is saying, let me take the wheel. We're very reluctant to do that. What if He takes us where we don't want to go? What if He sends me to India to be a missionary? What if He sends me... To, what if He opens the door for me just to talk with my family that's unsaved? I don't want to go there. I don't want to disrupt those things. Or what if He wants me to... To, to, to preach His Word with clarity. You know, uh, sometimes that's a scary thing to do. Because first off, it intimidates the one who's preaching because it's speaking to, to him or her too. But also, the, 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 the possibility of offending someone. God opposes the proud, but it says He gives grace to the humble. Humble is the opposite of proud. Self-indulged versus humble. And the idea of humble here is, is tied with He gives grace, which is undeserved mercy, which we're talking about. He gives grace. He, he saves us. He's the, the source of our salvation. And therefore, the reality is we can't what? We can't save ourselves. If we're in the driver's seat, we're in trouble. We can't save ourselves. We can't get to where He is if we're taking control. 
And so we have to release control to Him. And when we release the control, the reality comes that God says, let me pour out my grace on you. To those who are humble. Those who have realized they can't do it without me. Only God can save. And I, I just I, I have the phrase here written down, I can't, He can. So, again, this idea of humble yourselves. And it comes up in verse 6. Therefore, it says, humble yourselves, therefore, in the English Standard Version. But you could put the therefore at the beginning of the sentence as well, and it says exactly the same thing. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And the context of this idea of of a mighty hand of God is His sovereign hand of God. His uh, omniscient hand. All-knowing mind under, under His omniscient hand, if you will. Meaning His direction, His authority. We are called, we, we are to put ourselves under the authority of God. And if that's what we do, then there's a, a time that God will say, it says, at the proper time, He will exalt you or may exalt you or lift you up. Okay? And this idea of proper time, it's at the very right time. At the perfect time. God is never late. He's not early. Much to our frustration. He is at the right time. He sent Jesus just at the exact right time. Time, we're told by Paul in Galatians. At the exact right time, Jesus came. I've heard people say, if God really wanted to get a hold of the world for Himself, why doesn't He come again with all the communications that we have today and now? And all this God says, I've already done it just at the perfect time. God has done it in such a way at the perfect time that He will reach as many people as possible. He knew the exact time to do it. And the same thing for us. As we humble ourselves and rest under His mighty hand, at the very right time, at the proper time, He lifts us up. He draws us into His presence through His Word, through prayer, through just simply meditating on on His Word and what He's done for us. We're instructed here, he says, in verse 7, as he is, lifts us up, he says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Cast all your anxieties or all your cares. But this, this word for care here is different than the word that he cares for you. And, and this one has more of the idea of all your anxiousness, all your worries, all your doubts, all your fears. All of the things that get to you. How many of you have things that no one... And I don't want any hands on this. This is a rhetorical, okay? How, how many of you have things that are, that are in your heart or in your thoughts, in your mind, that, that are just sometimes pulling you down? You're overwhelmed at times. 
These are the cares, the things that you're anxious about. Man, you look around the world and there's plenty to be anxious about, worried about, concerned about. I'm hearing about the cost of living changing day by day by day. Gas went down, but everything that costs you to eat and, and, and heat your house and everything else went up. So, you know, we're, you know, what, what if I don't have enough money to cast your worries, your anxieties, your anxiousness, cast them on the Lord? And it says, you have the right to expect that He will see you through, basically, is what is implied there. He will see you through because He cares for you. He has a concern for you. He is your Father who loves you so much that John 3.16 isn't just a, a, a verse that you see at a football game or a baseball game, but a reality to us. God so loved us that He gave His only Son that as we believe in Him, we will not perish but have eternal life. This is the Father who loves us, who cares for us, who is concerned for us, who says at the very right time, I will meet you and meet your needs. Now, we are given a, a warning here that goes with this idea of being humble. If you're not already in the, in the idea of being humble and, and resting in God, this warning is not going to take much effect on you because you're not going to be able to stand against it. You have to be resting in God first. And the idea of being humble in God, by the way, is being saved. Starting with that. Realize I can't save myself, and so I have to come to the Lord and rest in His salvation, in His grace, in His mercy. He has gone to the cross. And when he said the words on the cross, it is finished. And, and I turned around and I confessed with my mouth and believed in my heart that he is the Lord. And, and God has raised him from the dead. At that point in time, I rest in those words. He is finished. It is finished. It's done. It's taken care of. There's nothing I can bring to the table uh, that, that adds anything to it. He alone can save me. Being in the right church can't save me. I have to be in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so, you know, this idea of being sober-minded. Uh, let, me, uh, let me think of, uh, I was just thinking of a, a verse in, uh, in Ephesians. Um, it's probably, in the, I think it's in the fifth chapter. Yeah, in the fifth chapter. It says, the idea of being sober-minded, I would add to that. So the idea of sober-minded means clear-minded, not caught up with you know with the with the world. And what Paul put it this way: He said, "Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time, because the days are evil." Why are the days evil? Because you have an adversary who's out to tear you down and get in your way. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And I have people say, what is the will of God for my life? Here it is, right here. Do not get drunk with wine. You look at that and say, well, what do you mean drunk with wine? It's bigger than that. The idea is a metaphor here too. 
Don't be drunk on the things of the world. Don't be filled with the things of the world, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Capital S, Holy Spirit. Addressing, and there's a, what comes about when you're filled with the Holy Spirit is you start to interact with the people of God. And it says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Those are all acts of humility. And so this idea of being sober-minded, don't, don't be filled with the world. Be sober-minded here. And, and uh, be watchful. Says, be sober-minded, be watchful, or, or the other word for this word watchful is alert. Be alert, pay attention, have your eyes open. Your adversary, what is an adversary? Anybody want to offer something? Huh? An enemy, okay, that's a good answer for that. An enemy, someone who is against you in all of your Thoughts. That's what's implied here. Someone who is the opposite of what God is. God is our one who's come to bless us. The adversary is the one who's come to bring us into his curse. Your adversary, the devil, what does it say here? Prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to to devour. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, and I, I put a whole list of things that this idea of prowling around because it's tied to this word line. There's an implication of, of, of many thoughts here. He's hunting for you. He's stalking you. Have you ever watched any of the, the, the things that are on television on some of the animal channels and stuff like that where they talk about lions and stuff and you watch them? They'll walk these huge circles around their prey the things that they're ready to attack, and they get closer and closer and closer. And the animals don't pay any attention because it's just so gradual. Kind of like the frog in the kettle picture. Okay, That's, that's what a prowling lion does here. And, he, and his goal is to devour you. So he's, he's stalking you. He's waiting uh, to get to you. He wants to trap you. Why? He wants to eat you. He wants to devour you. It says, literally wants to swallow you up. He's looking for our, the weak spots. He's, he's prowling. He's looking for your, the weakest spot that is in you. And I've, so I've, I've put a list of weak spots that we can have as bad habits, hidden sin, areas of temptation that we're weak in. That's what he's looking for. Things that he can attack and bring us, bring us down. To devour us. And this is what he does to the whole church everywhere. This is his battle plan. To attack the church. To tear it down. To bring it to naught if he could. But as much as he can to damage it and, and wound it. That's, his, he get, that's the joy that he has and all the joy that he has. Because he's a, a defeated enemy. It's an already done thing. He's, he's already in the position of shame. It says that in Genesis chapter 3 that he was going to bruise the heel of, of the one that would be coming to save us. But 
the one who saves us will crush his head. He knows he's defeated. Sometimes I think even though he knows it, he still tries to win the war. So we're given a battle plan. It's pretty simple. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are are experienced throughout the church. Resist him. This comes back to if humble hasn't entered into your picture, you're not going to be able to resist him. If you haven't rest in God's mercy and grace and realized, I can't do this on my own. I can't do it in my own strength. I need the Holy Spirit of God. I need to be filled with the Spirit so that I can resist Him. And in resisting Him, more than just resisting Him, it's standing firm. And then again, the idea of standing firm in your faith. I put stand firm humbly in God. And it says, God Himself. It, 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 it kind of offers this, this double thought. It says, God Himself will restore you. He will confirm that you belong to Him. He will strengthen you to resist. He will make stable, establish this to make stable, give you sure footing, and, and I thought of, of, of the picture out of, out of the, the book of Psalms in chapter uh, Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. The idea of He inclined to me is he, he leaned towards me. He heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction. What's the pit of the destruction? It's, it's normally a pit of our own doing. We've gotten ourselves in trouble through sin and now it says, He has lifted me up out of the pit of destruction. Out of the miry bog. You want a good picture of the miry bog? Think of the uh, bay, humble bay, when the tide is out and all that gooey mud. People used to go out in there sometimes. When four-wheel trucks came out and everybody thought they could go anywhere, there's some buried out there. You know, they just sunk. You know, so miry bog. And set my feet upon a rock. Something solid on the rock. He's established me. He pulled me out of the clay, the pit of my sin, and He established me on the rock. The rock is Jesus Christ. Drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, set my feet upon the rock, making my steps secure. And He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. He has restored us. He's confirmed us. He's strengthened us. He's established us. He's placed our feet on the rock. He's taken us out of the miry clay. I'm not sure. I wrote this down on my notes and I don't recall which person I stole it from. <laughs> I, didn't, I, I normally make a notation from it, but uh, it may well have been uh, 
Chris Wall, Chris Well, but I, I'm not sure. As, but it, this was was what he said: As long as man is full of himself, God can't fill him. In other words, as long as we're wanting to do the driving, as long as we want to de- determine all the destinations of our faith and our life and everything that comes our way, and while we want to, you know, you know, and bad things come our way and we sit there in our pity parties and all this kind of stuff, he, God can't do anything with us until we turn around and say, God, you are sovereign in control. I come under your mighty arm, under your mighty hand, and I rest in you. What an awesome thing God has done for us. And He did it in a way that still makes man stand back in, in awe. I, all I can draw from is, is verses you hear me use so frequently. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word, Jesus Christ, became flesh and dwelt among us. He emptied Himself. He humbled Himself and became a man. Not just a man, but a servant to men. He wore the cloth. And even to the point of death on the cross. I think of the last verse of Psalm 40. As for me, I am poor and needy. That's taking the position of humble. I am poor and needy. But the Lord takes thought for me. You, referring to the Lord, you, Lord, are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my Every time we take communion, we do so with the thought of, of, of the words that Jesus said uh, as, as He was with His disciples. And He says, I'm not going to share this again until I'm with you in paradise. Until I'm with you with, and, and, and I believe this is the marriage feast that He's talking about. And He says, so as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of Me. And so this morning as we, as we do this, uh, I'm going to ask the, uh, to come back and lead us in a song for communion. And as we prepare for communion, we're still not passing the tray because of the COVID issues. But we have up here uh, one tray that's got uh, packets in it. And uh, feel free to take one of those if, if that's what you prefer. And uh, or next to it, we have the communion, and it's in two cups. And the simplest way to get this thing is just twist this way. If you pull it too abruptly, it spills on you. So just twist it lightly. And there's a bread in one cup and the, and the grape juice or the, uh, the fruit of the vine in the other cup. So let's prepare our hearts for communion. And as, as we do, I'd like to, to share a, a couple of verses with you. This is out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Or, or chapter 11, I mean. He asks us, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. 
Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the, of the Lord uh, is to do so with the idea of personal examination. He says, examine himself and then and, and, and eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. What Paul is basically trying to say here is this is a believer's meal. We come as those who have confessed Christ in our heart, believe in, and, and with our mouth and, and, and believe in our heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And we share the, the communion together as a remembrance of Him. And we will do so until He comes again and share it with Him. So uh, let's uh, go ahead and, and sing, prepare our hearts. Come up here to pick up your communion and uh, we'll share in just a moment together. Paul writes, uh, I will be going again from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 
He says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. And in the same way, He also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in My blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. Let us share in the bread. share in the cup. He finishes this with, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes again. Join me in prayer, please. Father, we thank You for the opportunity to gather together around Your table and around Your Word. We ask, Lord, that as we go, You would open our minds and our hearts to those around us. Lord, those in need, those who just need a good word or just a, a, a kind smile. Lord, uh, to extend Your grace to all those that we come into contact with today and all through this week. We worship You. We praise You. We thank You for Your mercy and Your grace. We love You. We come in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we close? Years I spent in vanity and pride, caring that my Lord was crucified. Knowing not it was for me he died on Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. By God's word at last my sin I learned. Then I trembled at the law I spurned, till my guilty soul imploring turned to Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free, pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. I've given Jesus everything, now I gladly own Him as my King. Now my raptured soul can only sing of Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free, pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. 
mercy there was great and grace was free pardon there was multiplied to me there my burdened soul found liberty at calvary again lord bless thank you for being here this morning have a wonderful rest of the day